You may be seated. And good morning, I'm Paul Joyner, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we're so thankful that you're here. If you want to find out more about our church or get on our email uh, newsletter list, which is a place where we announce a lot of things, you can fill out one of those cards in the pew rack in front of you and just drop it in the offering plate, which is up here or in the back. If you are visiting with us, we work our way regularly through books of the Bible. Um, and so we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you are new to Christianity, maybe just checking out the church and are unfamiliar with the Bible, we've printed the text for you on page 8 of your worship guide. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles in front of you in the pew rack home so that you could have God's Word in your home and that by that He might cause it to dwell in your heart and make you a, a new person in Christ. We're going to look at verses 12 through the end of the chapter, um, but I want to start us back at chapter 4 of verse 12, which we've not printed for you in the worship guide. So if you've got your Bibles, which I would encourage you to bring each week, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 12, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Now... That's one of Paul's ways of kind of cluing us into the, in, in the book of Corinthians, a new beginning of a subject matter. If you look back through your Bibles through 1 Corinthians, you'll just see a lot of his paragraphs starting with now. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities... But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members... In all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again 
the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. This is God's word. The wisdom of man will wilt like the grass in the heat of July. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. God, we would ask that you, by your spirit, through your word, would bring to us the words of Jesus Christ. For they are like rain that falls in the desert and makes the most barren places spring to new life. We need that in our hearts now and today. We've come here parched and dry and withered up and burdened by so many cares in our lives that we need you to give us the words of life that water us. We need to drink deeply from the well of living water so that we might spring up again and find ourselves flourishing. Left to ourselves, we will die, but by your spirit, through your word, we will experience life in abundance. And so we pray, Savior, come and speak. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I think it's fair to say um, that most of us feel insignificant. We have moments where we strive to be significant, but then we usually just give up because we just feel so small. And yet, in the waters that we swim in, in our day-to-day life, everything is telling us that people of value aren't small and insignificant. So we strive again and Get on the escalator. It's almost like climbing the down escalator. It's a lot of effort. You don't get very far in our striving to be significant. And then we deal with a culture more broadly that celebrates celebrity. The person at the top, the person on the stage is considered to be the most important one. They are the one to be celebrated as the celebrity They receive the awards. They get the attention from the camera. They make the dollars. And they are the influencers. And their influence is not measured by what they contribute to the world, but how they are not small. That's the one significant piece about them, is that they are not 
small. They have influence because they have the spotlight. They have a large following. They are significant, not because of what they contribute, just simply by the fact that they are not small. It's no wonder that we think all the time that we feel small and that is a problem that needs to be overcome by our efforts. And so we strive and then we give up and then we resign to the fact that we are just going to be small and insignificant and that we have to deal with that. But let's stop for a minute and think about the assumption because it is quite flawed. Think about the star on the stage. It's just he or she is just a piece, a rather small piece, in fact, in the entire production. They need the entire team around them. If you don't have the light people doing the lights, you don't have a show. You just have one person on the stage doing their thing. If the sound person decides to cut off the sound or mix it improperly, don't get any ideas up there. The artist sounds awful. It might sound awful in the first place. It might just be the sound person that's making them sound great in the first place. And perhaps it's those people, those unseen people, that are the most important ones who make everything else in the spotlight get our attention. But these aren't the ones who get the accolades or the pay. They are considered small. They are considered insignificant. But when you measure them by their essential contribution, they are invaluable. The whole can't function without the parts working together. And this kind of interdependence that we experience but don't often acknowledge, this kind of interdependence is built into the world by God. He has made us mutually dependent people. Individualism as an ambition has sold us on the pursuit at least, the good pursuit of I am a self-dependent person who is most alive when I don't need anybody and when I can self-create my own life that we should be our own completely independent person who doesn't need anyone else. Those are the waters that we swim in. But the reality, again, one close examination is I can't even have the first meal of the day without practicing mutual interdependence. We don't grow the wheat that goes into our toast or create the toaster or roast the coffee or grow the wood that's crafted into the filter that has to hold my coffee just so I can become an alive person risen from the dead. And my family can have a conversation at me without me just grunting. can't roast my own coffee or I should, if, I, if I did, no one should drink it. We can't bring the power into our house. The list goes on and on. We are by design mutually interdependent people. And it seems that we are trying in our striving to be significant, escape from the reality that is part of our created design. And is glorious. Perhaps the life that we're told to live every day that our resources make us dependent, independent. We have enough resources. We can do our own thing and don't need to rely on anyone else. 
is what is actually exhausting us and making us more lonely than ever. Because God has designed us to be interdependent people. And so the church is a body. It's not a gathering of individuals. God's design in the church is to put humanity back together the way he designed it to be. Not a gathering of individuals who somehow find our own individual curated experience within the whole. One of the reasons that I think I, I just sat here and listened to us singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and found my heart soaring because I am dependent on us gathering together as a body and singing together to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that, I'm not just expressing, you are building my faith. As we hear that, this Jesus becomes more real and believable as I hear us together as a body exalting his name. We need each other. And so the church is designed by God to be more interdependent, not less. It's a living organism with no dead limbs, each doing its essential part so that together we might function for Jesus and for each other. So Paul's reminding us here not just of that metaphor, and it's a beautiful metaphor. I'm sure you picked it up even as we're reading how deeply he dives into that, but it's actually more than a metaphor. Paul is reminding us that it is Jesus who is building the church because his church is his embodiment in the world. Look at verse 11 and then all the way down through 13. We'll start here with 11 and 12. All these, all these various gifts, these grace gifts that Jesus by his spirit gives to the church, all these, and the assumption is everyone, as we'll see, has something essential to contribute. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. And then he shifts into this metaphor of the body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the body, all the members of the body, though one are many, but are one. Now, you would expect, as he then drives this in, takes this metaphor, you would expect him at the end of verse 12 for him to say, So it is with the church. But it's not what he says. So it is. With Christ. That's a very, you know by his reading that he's talking about the church as an organization. But there's such a close identity between Jesus and his people that he can say, so it is with Christ. You can't separate the people of God from Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm one with Jesus. Not just hypothetically, but I am so bound to him that what is true about Jesus is true about me. And not just individually, a bunch of people connected together, but as a whole, one body connected to Jesus in such a way that Paul can say about the church, so it is. Jesus, his church, they're one. You can't separate them from each other. That's what it means. 
to belong to Jesus. It means to belong to his church and that together we are one with him. What's true about Jesus is true about not just you, us together. We are by our union with Jesus, we're one with him. What's true about him, we are a righteous people. Not because of anything that we have done. Oh, goodness knows. Not because of anything that we have done. We are the most ragtag bunch of misfits that God has gathered together, which is the point of the gospel. But a righteous bunch of misfits because we're one with Jesus. We have his spirit who raised him from the dead, who ordered all of creation. Therefore, his spirit is ours. and We are baptized into one body, verse 13, and all made to drink of one spirit. You see, in Corinth, there were dividing lines. There were two major dividing lines in the city that created stratification. Jew and Greek, so they were largely predominantly Greek and Roman culture. The Jews were, they thought they were, they were the ones. The Greeks and Romans thought they were the ones. The city was divided in two by that. And then top to bottom. Slave and free. And Paul says that's not what's the case in the church. Because this is a new humanity. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks. Slaves are free. God has eliminated the dividing lines. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. And he has in mind here... The cleansing work of God, the Holy Spirit, at conversion. When you become a Christian, it's not just the cleansing of the body. Baptism is not a sign to God of the commitment I made. It is a sign from God to us of what he has done in Jesus Christ. And washing away our sins and crafting us into a new community and making us a new people. And by saving grace... By his effort, you and I have had our core foundation in this, made in this, in this alone. This is who we are. We are no longer self-created people, either self-created, our story of sin doesn't define us, nor our story of accomplishments define us. We are in Christ Jesus and have his spirit. And what we share in common is so much more than any little differences that we can bring up. We elevate our distinctions, don't we? We elevate our, our distinctions, our individuality, our own commitments, our own ideas, our own preferences over the commonality that we share in Christ Jesus and then so functionally deny the gospel in some respects. Because the gospel says who you are is not who you've crafted yourself to be, but who God has crafted you to be in Christ Jesus. And all of your individual, all of our individual perceptions, opinions have to take a lower, they don't have to disappear, they just have to take a lower rung. Because the church of God does not exist simply to meet my needs, but to cause Jesus to be magnified in our lives together and in the world around us. The church doesn't exist to meet my needs, but the needs of the Savior who gave up his privileges and preferences to take our place on the cross. That should be more the shape of who we are. And so the Bible knows, one, nothing of a churchless Christianity. 
because it's his body. And the church is central to Jesus' mission as the creator of that new humanity. And the Bible just knows nothing of a Christian who, one, isn't part of his body, and two, the Bible knows nothing of a Christian who isn't essential to his body. Because Jesus, by his spirit, is building his church, and there are, as a result, no unessential people who have nothing to contribute. Verse 11, again, all these varieties of gifts are, one, empowered by the spirit, who apportions not to select few, but to each one individually as he wills. And then in verse 24, if you skip down, there's no unpresentable parts. Like the, there's no parts that are so insignificant that we just hide. In fact, he says the, the things that the people that are weak are the ones that we bestow greater honor on. That's the upside down nature of God's kingdom. The weak get elevated and we together protect them. Why? Because God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. There's no insignificant people in the kingdom of God because we're one with Jesus. And God is constructing the body in such a way that there is a vast variety of differences. That doesn't mean insignificance. In fact, his point is, the weakest are some of the most significant in God's upside-down kingdom because this is the way God is constructing the body. The Spirit is giving gifts, God's putting all of this together. And then in verse 28, God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, not a hierarchy of value, but rather foundations. These are first the apostles bring the message and then the prophets help to bring needed words for the moment during the apostolic age. And then God leaves a legacy of teachers and the miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and variety of tongues. You can really categorize this as, as those who speak and those who do. Those who speak and those who serve, both are essential. God's building this out. You simply cannot look around. If you are one with Jesus, you are one with his body, and you can't look around and say, I don't have a role to play. There are no unessential members of his body. Jesus has constructed his body very purposely. He's not whimsically tossing things together. He is very purposely gathering in his people. People that he chose before the foundation, the father chose before the foundation of the world, gave to his son and his son said, I will take those and die for them. I will live my entire life building a righteous record for them. They're my people. And he's not just whimsically then going to throw us together, but then by his spirit, he's constructing his body. He's called you out of darkness into the light of his glorious grace. Not just anyone, you. If you're in Christ, he's called you. And he gave you the gift of faith 
and repentance. He gave you eyes to see his salvation. He gave you the right to become children of God. He gave you the privilege as God's child to use his words to cry out in pain, Abba, Father. He's given you his spirit so that you might know the depths of God's love for you. He's given you his spirit so that you will fight with him who wins all our battles so that you might be holy. And then he seals you with that spirit so that you'll be kept when the king comes to take his people home. And he did not stop giving there. He gave you to his church. And you are essential. You are living stones. If your faith is in Christ, you are living stones. Stones that God's plucked out, built into his church, built on the foundation on the, against the chief cornerstone is Jesus and fitting us all together so that together we are God's temple and you have an invaluable contribution to make to the church. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. In fact, it doesn't really matter what you think. It only matters what Jesus thinks about you. And he's constructed this church in such a way that if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. There are no little people in Jesus' church. All of us are essential and all play very different roles. I mean, if your eye decides to take a day off and cease to contribute... It doesn't go well for your feet. I mean, I'm, look, I'm clumsy. I'm so clumsy, I fall up the stairs regularly. I need every bit of my faculties operating all the time just to navigate the world. If a small part of my tongue decides that it wants to take the day off and no longer contribute to the body and no longer can I taste bitterness, I'm much more prone to drink poison God has made you one with Jesus and has given you as a gift to his church and you are essential. And we all can't be the same. That's not a good thing. That's not a good functioning body. Can't say, I don't have anything to give. You are in Christ. He's constructed his church in such a way you have something essential to give and you can't say, what I can contribute is not important. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Built in inter interdependence. We can't function without each other. There is no such thing in God's kingdom as a self-made person, nor is there such thing in God's kingdom that doesn't just say, I need one person, but I need the entire body. 
I need everybody in this room who belongs to Jesus or I'm just not going to make it very far in the Christian life. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, those, and he's talking about here the parts of the body that we tend to we, we hide. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we actually bestow the greater honor on by presenting them, protecting them, not presenting them. We, we guard them with greater modesty which are more presentable parts, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that one member, the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Young men, let me talk to you for a minute. You're looking for purpose Everything around you is screaming that you're the problem in the world. That is just simply not true. But you are looking for purpose. And one of the reasons that you're stuck is because, and just kind of languishing as you're looking, this is the design, this is what we're here, you hear all the time. You need to find a purpose that builds your kingdom and fulfills your dreams. And then you look around at older generations and you see people who've pursued that path and you realize it's just so vapid and empty. Stuck in a meaningless job that seems worthless. The climb up the career ladder hasn't gone well for generations before you. You've seen marriages implode because of the total and utter commitment to career over and above family. You've been neglected at times. You feel it, you see it. And you think, I don't want to pursue that path. I'm going to find something that is meaningful for me and builds what I desire in this world. Well, and then you find yourself stuck in something that's meaningless. Well, here's the reality. There is nothing meaningless when you're working towards the end of glorifying God. And in that ambition, whatever it is that you're doing, you are making a serious contribution to the world just by being present and serving Jesus in whatever job you find yourself in. You are, in fact, salt and light. If you're one with Jesus, he is impacting the world through the most meaningless things that you think you're doing. Providing for your family, on the other hand, is a glorious ambition and a worthwhile end. But you are right to a degree. You want to leave a mark. You want to leave something lasting and significant, something that lasts and something that is glorious. You're not going to find that in your career. Then comes in the contribution that you essentially play to the body of Christ because she is his bride and he has adorned her with glory united himself to her so that we are his body in the world and he's going to bring his body into the new heavens and new earth and she will be adorned in all of his glory forever and ever and ever it is the only institution that that can be said of and so whatever glorious contributions you are making to the world by just simply doing the most mundane things is only then added on to when you contribute to the work and ministry of his body, the church. Those things don't have to be separated. They can go together. Older saints, you may feel left out, but you aren't. 
there's this trajectory that goes later in life and you feel like I've left all my significant contributions are in the past. But you aren't. It's just not true. You have more to offer to the church than at any other time in your life because you have a history, a long history of God's faithfulness to you that you can testify to to others. You've walked the long road of obedience and seen the ups and downs of following Jesus. And along the way, you've plucked a wagon full of wisdom. And in God's irony, in the upside-down kingdom, you are actually more physically fragile than ever, but it's the most fragile stones in God's household who have the strongest foundation because you have found that the only firm ground is Jesus Christ and him crucified and now is your time to invest in the younger generations instead of hand wringing over the world you should be hand holding those who are younger and walking with them inviting them into your house they are trying to figure out how parenting works how marriage works how life works they need to be joined with you And so now you may be asking, well, how do I find my place in this? Well, let me give give you three questions that you can ask yourself. There's no template for this. Um, But I I will tell you that um, Rick Talley is our volunteer coordinator. I expect his phone to be ringing off the hook and his email inbox to be full by the end of the week. Just some things. Let me suggest some, some things. Some three questions just to ask yourself. And to ponder, how do I find my place? The assumption is, I've got something essential to contribute to the body. This church can't live without me, literally. Won't do well without me. First question, what do you see? I mean, this isn't an exhausted list of things in the middle part of chapter 12 and the end part of chapter 12, the, the, the lists are very different. Paul does the same thing in Romans chapter 12. The list there is very different. He's, it seems like he's just saying, look, here's all the various kinds of things that I see people doing in the church. And there's a large variety of them. And so here's a good start. What has Jesus given you to do is an essential contribution. What do you see? The one who's gifted administratively will see the problems there. The ones who's gifted as a helper will see the problems there. The person who is gifted with discernment will see the theological and application problems. Those who are gifted in evangelism will see the lost who need to be reached. I often hear someone suggest a blind spot or a deficiency in the church. The church should be doing a better job with X. Fill in the blank. Great. The initiative, the vision, the insights should probably come up from the people of God. You, by naturally, are going to see things in the areas that God's gifted you in. What do you see? That's a body functioning. The the foot seeing a need. The one who's gifted with helping seeing a need. I can help in this area. But that requires two questions as you see that need. The first question is this. Should the church actually be doing it? The church's mission is very narrow. That is, as an institution, as the body of Christ, the church is to make disciples, to join Jesus in his mission of making disciples by reaching the lost and equipping the saints to worship and serve. Sometimes you might see a need that is just a need 
in the community. For instance, a group of Christians years ago, we participated in a ministry called Mums. Mums provides transportation to people in need in Murray County. They saw the needs. People need to get to job interviews so they can have jobs. People need to get to medical employment so they can get help. No, they don't have a way to get around, so let's provide that. The church doesn't need to be doing that, but if the church is doing its job of making disciples by proclaiming the gospel and applying it to our lives, then people are going to rise up. God's people are going to rise up and serve our communities. It doesn't need we need to be driving people around. Go start that ministry. But the second question that needs to be asked is if this is something the church should do. The second question when it gets offered is, the assumption, I'm telling you this because the paid staff need to do it. You notice that the church isn't that great at some administrative tasks, which we're not. Then you should probably think, I can help with that. I'm particularly gifted in that. And don't stand back and critique a mouth for not doing the work of hands. Rather think, I may be hands and I can help with that. This is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 6. The widows are in need. The church is experiencing the power of God through his gospel. And the widows are in need, but it's not going really well. Some widows are getting neglected and being cared for. And so the apostles are like, it's not good for us. We're mouths. We're not, it's not good for us to give up the ministry of word and prayer. The church isn't going to function very well if we do that. So we, the church appoints seven men gifted and empowered by the Spirit to do that work of helping. And you see what's, so what do you see? Where do you see that we're lacking? Find your way to contribute there. You play an essential role. And there's a good chance that if you're seeing it, it's because you're gifted in that area. Second question, this is rhetorical, what do you lack? In some ways, nothing. Because you need to remember, this is their tendency is like, well, I just don't have much, I'm not very good, I'm not mature enough, I don't have much to offer. You lack nothing, you are empowered by Jesus through his Holy Spirit. You have the whole of his resources at your disposal. He's the one who's distributing this gift. It's not a meritocracy where you think, well, I'm the most gifted person in the room, so I should get this place, or I'm not very gifted, so I, don't, I shouldn't get this place. Paul doesn't recognize that. He instead recognizes that there is a tendency in our hearts to despise some or envy another. Verse 14, the foot looks at the hand and sees the hand appears to be more important. It has greater ability, so it must be more important. It simply looks at the ear and its complexity or the beauty of the eye and says, well, I'm not an eye. I can't be that important in envy. And then you diminish yourself. What do you lack? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You have important roles to play because of the master organizer who's built all of this together you can say it's often the case the mercy minded people get frustrated with those who are more organizationally minded and will say something like people are more important than projects which of course is true but it is a little bit of a red herring the mercy minded people the helpers need the help of the organizers the administrators to actually help people 
God's ordered us wisely. We need to be humble ourselves under the gospel in a way that frees us up to appreciate the unique contributions of each other. Lastly, so what do you see? What do you lack? Last question. Who needs you? Because of our interdependence, we all do. No one person suffers alone. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Who needs you? Everybody. Everybody. I remember, I remember in a hospital bed back in the day when you would share hospital rooms with somebody else, with a boy who had his leg amputated. He was my age. 10, 12 years old, amputated because of bone cancer. He would wake up in the middle of the night with phantom pains. His leg would, would hurt. He'd scream out in pain from a leg that wasn't there. It would, it would itch, but it had been taken away. His brain just could not fathom. It was, it was an inability for his brain to fathom that he could lose a member And it just simply could not adjust. And I'm told that for decades, in fact, mostly the rest of his life, the brain will just be keeping that in. I know I've lost a member, but it just, that's an impossibility. I can't know, I don't know how to function in any other way than in this way. May it be so, more so, with the church of Jesus Christ. That when we stub our toe, or our toe gets stubbed, our whole body reacts. We've got to come to their help and their aid. I've got something, in, uh, just the assumption, they need me. I don't know what they need from me, but they need me. How do I know they need me? Not because they've said it, because we're not very good at asking for help. How do I know they need me? Because Jesus has constructed his body so that I, they're not going to be able to do this without me. Even when they don't ask, i got to jump in. Because we're built interdependent by the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who simply cannot exist apart from one another. And we are his body. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask that as we come to the table now. And enjoy our family meal around this truth Christ was crucified for his church and around this truth that while we proclaim this it is a temporary proclamation until he comes to take the rest of his body home where he dwells in glory and we with him forever and ever. So set aside these elements and use them for our spiritual nourishment. Strengthen our weak knees. Feed our hungry souls. May we drink deeply of Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. By your spirit we ask this. Amen.